And welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Top Talk Talk Podcast. Back on Tuesday nights, I'm Harris Arino. That is co-host Dan Colley. Dan, how's it going this Tuesday evening? The uh, the every week sentence. Oh, listen! It is so much better to be on on Tuesday. I'm excited, ready to go. I think we're gonna have a great show for everybody tonight. Absolutely, a lot to cover in just a short amount of time. We're gonna try and hit that 30 to 45 minute mark for y'all. Don't want to keep y'all too long. Want to keep your attention for as long as possible. Thank you for joining us here tonight on YouTube in the comment section. Let us know um, any of your thoughts. We are highly interactive. Uh, I gave Dan the uh, co-host role on Streamyard so he can see your comments and. Uh, kind of a little bit more of the behind the scenes of what goes on in the show. So Dan will not have to look at his other monitor uh, to find your comments. He can put them up on the screen. He has all these powers now. He's the uh, co-commissioner of uh, of this. So let's get right in into it, Dan. We got um, a little bit something I would consider juicy, something that's been in the news uh, a lot lately, and that's conference realignment. I know we talked about it, I think it was what, a week or two ago? I think it was two weeks ago we talked about it because there was some new news that came out surrounding USC UCLA and the other news around, you know, where those two programs are going and how that could spark others. But now we had a recent report that broke Monday that uh, from Saturday Down South, go find it over there. I think it's SaturdayDownSouth.com. Who spoke, this reporter spoke to a bunch, I think it was a few, a couple different SEC anonymous, I should say, SEC athletic directors. So take, take this with a pinch of salt. I don't know how uh, credible the sourcing is. I don't know who these athletic directors are, what power they have, um, and if they're even athletic directors. But here, here's the quote. When talking about the SEC, he said, and I quote, we're positioned at 16 teams for a robust future. Adding, in quote, the need just isn't there when talking about whether or not they need to add more teams to the conference. So obviously, you know, Dan, the whole big talk around college football right now is, you know, super conferences and adding more than having, you know, more than 16 teams to a conference. You know, the SEC is going to go to 16 teams when Texas and OU come in. Um, and now everyone's trying to play catch up. So first off, I just want to get your thoughts on this this new era of college football. What are your thoughts on the idea of super conferences um, and, and all that? Well, the way I see it is it's going to happen regardless. Okay, so it's, it's coming. The super conferences are coming and the SEC we know – more times than not, is not reactionary. They are the people who set the trend. Now, what the Big Ten is doing, they're doing out of desperation. They're trying to stay relevant. They're trying to stay powerful, um, have some say in what happens in college football. The SEC has had this chokehold more recently uh, on the NCAA, and they're in such a dominant role that everybody else is kind of reactionary to what the SEC is doing. So by the Big Ten going out, in getting some more teams, they're trying to get a little bit more power and they're trying to, you know, they're, they're trying to leverage this for a better TV deal. Because if you look at the payouts for the conferences, the SEC's payouts are far and away superior to what everybody else is able to pay. So whether we like it or not, I think super conferences are coming. Now I say that the SEC is not reactionary, but I do think that SEC is smart enough to, scan the landscape and understand where this thing is headed. Now you read the article by Saturday down South, you know, they do a, a pretty good job. I read a lot of their stuff, but I trust ESPN a lot more because ESPN is the financial partner of the SEC and their TV contract. You know, there was a con conversation on um, Chuck and Turnoff and Chuck Oliver was talking about, uh, and I, 
I may be wrong. Maybe it's 25, but I, I wanted to say they were saying that Texas, Oklahoma weren't going to join until 26, but for some reason I was thinking it's 25, but anyway, there's an $80 million buyout for them to come earlier and neither school finds it advantageous to pay that to come over sooner. They, it, the, it's just not worth it right now. However, there is a conversation where the SEC, the schools, the commissioners, Greg Sankey can go to ESPN potentially and basically tell ESPN to go ahead and facilitate that buyout to get them over as soon as 2024, which I think we would all be in line for, right? I think we would all really want to see that. And I'm not even reading these comments, but Harrison's laughing already. So, so anyway, the point being is, I think those teams are going to get here sooner rather than later. I don't think they're going to wait till the cutoff to uh, make that jump over. Now, what ESPN was talking about was it made sense because the SEC doesn't want to grow their footprint um, the way, like, their point was the reactionary nature of the Big Ten is they're just going out and getting teams from anywhere, and it's it's not realistic. Uh, these trip times are going to be insane. It's gonna it's gonna be a real strain on the teams that decide to do this. Now, the SEC the power that they have in, you know, as, um, oh gosh, I can't remember who it was on ESPN, but they were saying that the SEC has so much power. If they call a team and say, we want you in our conference, there's not a team in the country that's going to say no. So they were talking about natural selection or natural partners for, for the SEC would be Clemson, Virginia Tech, Miami, and Florida State and bring them in. And that would get you to your 20. And then now you have a million different options. You can go to two different, uh, two 10 conference teams you can go to four or five whatever you know whatever you want to do i know that's not what you like to hear so um yeah I, I think we're headed to a 20 team conference what say you sir i think I, I agree with you i think it's coming i think that's just you know the way that college football is heading it's all about the money um not only for the off-field activities not only for the coaches not only for uh the conferences but it's also for um i would I, I agree with you roots i agree with you uh, but it's also, um, you know, for the players as well. I mean, um, not not going to come up here and, and, and accuse uh, any school um, that we don't, you know, any school paying their players. But look, I mean, just them playing college football, uh, you know, they're going to compensate. That's why NIL is, here, uh, NIL is here, you know, name, image, and likeness. You know, me and Dan talk about it a lot. We've talked about it in the past. Um, we may see, you know, to the casual fan, it may seem like we don't like NIL, but it, it's the opposite. I think Dan um, would agree with me. We've probably wanted NIL for a long time. It's been something we've all wanted. Um, you know, I've done a couple papers on why NIL, you know, why players should be able to, college athletes should be able to compensate off something as simple as their name. But look, you know, now anything that was on the financial side of things is now, you know, behind the scenes is now coming to the forefront, you know. No one's going to deny you'd have to be naive to say that players weren't getting paid beforehand. It just happens. It's the dirty part of the game. Sadly, it's, you know, it's steroids and baseball, something not, you know, wasn't talked about for a while until now. And it's come out. It's like the sticky stuff scandal, Dan. I know you're a baseball man. I know we have a few baseball people in here. It's the sticky stuff. What pitchers are you using to get grip on the baseballs? Um, but anyways, I, yeah, I agree with you, Dan. I think it's going to a 20 team conference, but to, you know, my opinion, I don't want a 20-team conference. Yeah, splitting up into 10 teams makes it a little bit more manageable. But, uh, you know, I, I would consider myself kind of traditional in the sense that, you know, I don't like, I, I don't want much change to the product we have now. 
I think the biggest change that I can get behind would be expanding the playoffs a little bit further. Um, you know, I'm not against Texas and OU joining the SEC. I think it's going to make a better product. But when we start adding in, you know, Miami, Clemson, Florida State, yeah, regionally it makes sense. Money-wise, financially, it makes sense. But, you know, I love I love the regular season the way it is now. And my whole take on it is, you know, I, I told Dan this on the phone when we were discussing what we want to talk about today. It's, you know, if if the whole goal of this is to get a better product, regular season product, then it, the onus goes on the school. The onus should be on the programs to schedule those games. Yeah, everyone everyone loves to watch Ohio State and USC throw down every once in a while whenever they play. But, like, if, you know, Georgia and Clemson play every year in the regular season, you know, it's going to kind of take away some of that, some of that, you know, that oomph that comes with, you know, them playing the playoffs or that that's just my opinion. Like if we're going to see Alabama and Georgia play almost every year, you know, we already got people in college football complaining about them playing in the national championship thinking, you know, one of them should have only been in the other one should be left out because Dan, apparently there's too much repeats. You know, there's not enough parity in college football. So, so my take is, I'm fine with 16, but once we go beyond that, you're just getting into a situation where, you know, the rich are going to get richer, which is already happening. And, you know, anyone below the 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 good to elite level of college football, I mean, what are you going to do? You're just making them worse. I mean, it's making it's going to make it harder for South Carolina, for Vanderbilt, for Missouri, for Kentucky to compete. And you know, that's what's one of the good things about, about the SEC right now is, yeah, you don't expect Kentucky to win the SEC ever, but man, aren't those upsets fun to watch? Isn't that what makes college football one of the best sports in America? It is, but at the same time, you don't have a lot of those upsets, to be completely honest. I mean, you'll have teams knocking themselves off, but like, for the most part, you're, you're right. When Alabama loses in the regular season, it is crazy right everybody just goes nuts especially like when it's a team like uh texas a&m when they have manzel or old miss or somebody like that when they're able to knock off alabama you know those are big time uh games but i mean for the most part georgia's gonna georgia and alabama's gonna alabama and you know for the most part lsu is gonna do what they're gonna do and you're not gonna have as many upsets i i agree with you to the extent that and the way I would want to parallel this is think about a, a upstart company, right. Or a new company or look like I could use my own company. For example, when I started, we didn't even have a footprint in the market. And now we're the second largest in the world at what we do. And part of that is you start to have success. Everybody wants to jump on that bandwagon and they want to ride that train and everybody wants to come to work for you. But then at some point you start to realize you've kind of gotten too big for your own good and you have to kind of trim back and get to that point where you're back to functioning like a well-oiled machine and you're making higher profits and, and all, you know, that, that type of thing. Well, I think college football is going through that right now where, the SEC is having so much success. Everybody's trying to copycat that and, and try to have the same success. Now, the SEC is growing. We're adding teams. You know, We're talking about po possibly adding more teams. The only difference really is 
in the SEC, I don't know if you can cut that. I don't know if you can realize that you've made a mistake and got too big and it's it, you know, your product is suffering. So then have to backtrack and kick some teams out. I don't know if you can even do that. I, I honestly, I don't remember the last time a team ever got kicked out of a conference. I mean, Harry, do you know, has that ever happened? Has a team been kicked out of a conference before? You're on mute, my guy. Talk about that. I had to go make sure uh, I had a little background noise I wanted to cut out. But anyway, not that I could remember. First, first major fluke on a first major accident on this. Um, we've made it. We've made it a few episodes now without me talking while mute. Um, so I'll take it. But anyways, not that I can remember. Um, someone getting kicked out. Uh, you know, I, I, I there were a lot of Georgia fans that wanted Vanderbilt kicked out <laughs> of the conference after they canceled that 2020 game. But you know, they managed to survive. But yeah. I, to me, it would have to be something bad. I mean, it wouldn't. Right. Did SMU get kicked out after they got the death penalty? Uh, of their well, I think that I, I think that entire conference dissolved because dissolved? after that, okay. yeah, because I think there were some other things going on. But my, my point is that you know, it, it's a slippery slope and it's a dangerous territory, and we are at a crossroads in college football right now where we don't really know where it's going. I think everybody has an idea. I mean, all of the people that are in the chat, they're all extremely brilliant guys and I, I love listening to their content and I'd be really interested. Um, I'm sure Jonathan Jeremiah will probably cover some of this in their show at some point. Um, I just, I don't, I know that we're headed to a 20 team league. I don't know that I necessarily want it. I just have kind of come over to the side of it's going to happen. So if it's going to happen, let's make sure that we get the very best to come over. Um, and I agree with you that I, I, I enjoyed college football the way it was. It was so much fun. And it like, I love college football so much more than NFL. And I have friends who live in the North and they think, and I'm an idiot. They're like, you're watching JV football is what you're watching. They're like, the NFL is the best of the best. And you know, it's so much, but the NFL is so sterile and just, I, I've never gotten into it the way I get into college football. Like even with the video games, like I didn't like Madden. So um, I mean, I played Madden, but I, the NCAA was so much better because it's got the pageantry of college football included in it. So I don't know. I Harrison, I really feel like we're just in a really dangerous um, area right now. And there's so many different ways we can go. And I, I'm just afraid that if we add too many, it's going to the, the product is going to suffer. And I don't want to see that happen. Um, and then to your point about rivalries, you forget because you're like 10 years old um, that Clemson and Georgia used to play every year. Cause they were both in sec Georgia tech was in sec. So there, there was a lot of these teams that, you know, played and some, you know, some of the rivalries that Georgia had in days gone by, we don't play them anymore. So now like, you know, to your point, if we play Clemson every year, it would devalue the game. I, I don't know that that's necessarily true. Um, I think there are a lot of Georgia fans, um, older Georgia fans, who would love to see that rivalry um, reinstated. Uh, and I, I, I am a firm believer there is a lot of people, and maybe not a lot of people would voice this opinion because it's kind of blasphemy, but I think there are a lot of people that would be like, well, drop Georgia Tech from the schedule and let's just play Clemson. I mean, like, I think if you put that on the table, say, hey, listen, we'll play Clemson every year and drop Georgia Tech, I think – the majority of the fans would take that um, because they'd rather see that game because Georgia Tech's just been so bad lately. But um, what? I can't talk looking like a high school skateboarder. 
Come on, Roots. <laughs> and I think it was better Roots. when I couldn't see the comments. <laughs> um, to touch to touch on you know the, the whole Clemson aspect, I think I used a bad example um, of uh, of that. Uh, you know, I don't want to. My thing is, you know, what makes the playoffs so special is, in, in some cases, is you get those matchups. You don't, you know, you rarely get the the Georgia Michigan matchup was insane. The Georgia Oklahoma matchup, we're gonna see a lot more of that, and I'm happy about that. Um, I think that was a that was a bad that was a bad example there. But Dan, to to before we wrap it up because we are 17 minutes in the show and we got you know a few more a few more segments to hit, I do want to talk about this with you real quick. Uh, and I'm I'm gonna use something that uh you know Saturday uh, Saturday Down South quoted in their article, something they used in their article, which just shows you the times. And I got a question for you um to wrap this all up and then we can transition. All right, so he, here's from the Saturday Down South article talking about it. Um. And I quote, they said, in 2002, the SEC distributed $95.7 million in media revenue to its 12 schools. Meant, um, doing some simple math, seven, not really simple, $7.87 million per school. That is what each school got back in 2002. Now, fast forwarding into 2022, school, uh, the, the revenue will be seven seven hundred seven. Point eight million dollars for 14 schools. That is 55.5 million per school. A lot of money, a big increase in revenue per school. And I think the latest projection I've seen is when you add Texas and Oklahoma into the mix, each school will be getting somewhere around 100 million. Um, it's going to skyrocket. Basically, it's going to double what it is now, which is which is insane. Just considering, you know, you already got some big name value brands in you know Georgia, Florida, Alabama. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy to think what adding Texas and Oklahoma will do for the revenue of not just the conference as a whole, but, you know, each school individually. Um, so Dan, big question, you know, because this is the predicament that the SEC will get into. Yeah. You, you've already mentioned it. They are the trendsetter. They don't follow the trends. They set the trends. So here's my question. If the big 10 goes out and adds, you know, a Notre Dame, an Oregon, a Washington, and some other school to get them up, you know, some other schools to get them up to that 20 team mark. Does the SEC have enough to, I mean, get by with just 16 teams? Can they compete? Can they still say they are the superior conference than the Big Ten? Hypothetical, I guess. It, it, it's a large, it's a large question. Well, so first, let me start this by addressing that number that you gave. It said in 2022. Uh, the payout was $55.5 million per school. That was just TV revenue. That wasn't everything. So the final tally, after all the bowl games were played and the bowl payouts and stuff like that, each school got $70 million. So last year, every single team got $70 million. That was the SEC, the uh, ESPN had that number. That, that was the payout for every single school. And conversely, the Pac-10s payout all in, all told, bowl games, everything, the Pac-10s payout was $19.5 million per school. So why are these teams chasing the SEC? That's it. That's that's 100% it right there. SEC schools got 70 million last year. Pac-10 teams got 19.5. I think, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I think the Big Ten was like around the 35 to 40 million per school. So they're they're a lot closer to what we are uh, than the Pac-10. So um, I have never worn Echo or Jinko in my entire life. Y'all can, this is, listen, this is the Trash Pandas. Okay, it's a minor league baseball team. Minor league umpire gets minor league hats. That's how that works. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, 
Yeah, it's all about the payout. At the end of the day, I mean, we can have a long, blown-out conversation, but at the end of the day, it's about payouts. Everybody's chasing the money. Everybody wants that SEC money. And when you compare the $70 million to $19.5 million, and everybody else is kind of in between, but nobody's really close to that SEC number, that's what it's all about. It's all about the money. And my dad, to, I mean, my dad didn't say a lot of smart things, but one of the things he told me a long time ago, and I'm sure everybody has heard this in some form or fashion, is if you want to get to the truth of anything, follow the money. It's always about money. Almost everything in life comes down to money at the end of the day. So to answer your question, all about the money. That's all That's all we're talking about is money. And Dan, I'm going to let you, tra- with that, let you transition into your Dan's new rant of the week. Um, it's not something Dan's angry about, but I don't think he's pumped about it. Well, it's, it's, the NFL, or I'm sorry, the NBA's summer trade season, right? I, I think as a fan, one of the things we get most excited about is player movement, whether it be in, you know, baseball trade deadline is getting ready to happen right now, right? What is it, like two weeks after the All-Star game? I guess August 1st, maybe, uh, is the baseball trade deadline. And, you know, one of the funnest things about a season is talking about potential trades before that trade deadline. Now, baseball, you see a lot of movement. Basketball, you see a lot of movement in the offseason, not necessarily in season. NFL, you see some trades during the offseason. You don't really see a whole lot of NFL trades. And you really, I mean, every so often a trade will happen during the season, but it's very rare that a trade happens in season. And so with the NBA summer trade season, you um, Bill Simmons, I don't know if anybody listens to Bill Simmons. Uh, he does a great job. He has a fantastic podcast. And Whenever he has Ryan Rosillo on, they do nothing but NBA topics. So they did the top 64 players in their trade value. And they had like Trey Young at 17. Uh, and then like their top four and the way they classified it was don't even call me because there's no way I'm effing trading him to your team. Uh, their top four was um, Steph Curry at four, Joker at three, Luca at two, and Giannis at one. Those guys basically wouldn't get traded for anybody. There's nobody could offer. And then like their next tier was like Anthony Edwards and some of these other guys. Um, so there's a lot of talk about trade in, in which you talked about with it. You wanted to hear about was the Kevin Durant. So Kevin Durant comes out, um, I guess a couple of weeks ago now and says that he wants to get traded. Well, like Simmons and them were breaking it down and they share a lot of the same opinions I have is Katie is one hell of a player unbelievable player and if you added them to your roster you would be significantly better just by having them there but what do you have to give up what's the cost and then on the other side of that is he's never happy there's nothing you can do to make that man happy he is the most unhappy superstar i've ever seen in my entire life other than maybe james harden but that's i don't even consider him a superstar because i just cannot stand the way that guy plays basketball he i mean like oh i just half the time he doesn't even make it past half court on defense. He's just like, whatever, I'm going to be down here. I just don't like guys like that. He's a, he's a regular season guy. Like Wessel Westbrook to me is a regular season guy. Um, there are guys that are going to be stat stuffers, but you just can't count on them when it's really, really important. Now, KD, you can't, right? Uh, KD won two finals MVPs with the Warriors when he was there. Um, he was one of the best players in the NBA by far. And, I'm not going to ever say that he's not a great player. He's an absolutely great player, but he's never happy. So why would you want to give up a ton of currency or capital or draft picks or players for a guy like that? Because he's probably going to demand a trade next year. So it's so hard to move a guy like that because everybody knows. And 
now he's like, well, I will only go to these teams. The other teams are like, well, we didn't even call you. Like, we don't necessarily want you on our team, guy. Like, calm down. And whatever happened to one-for-one trades in the NBA or two-for-two, like, I don't know, like, good for good. Remember when uh, Jason Kidd was traded for Stephon Marbury? I mean, they traded point guards. Uh, You know, the Hawks traded um, uh, Dennis Schroeder for another guard. I can't remember. But – it used to be players for players. Now it's like picks, currency, like five guys for one guy. I mean, it, it's completely ridiculous because like for the Hawks, for example, right? We got rid of, um, you know, we were able to get uh, DeJounte Murray for not a lot. I mean, what we gave up Danilo Gallinari and some picks or whatever. Okay. I, I mean, all right. I'm okay with that. I, I really hated that we traded um, Kevin Herter or Kayvon to those in the know. Um <laughs> But, you know, imagine that the Hawks were really interested in Kevin Durant. And, of course, they were. They made a call. They they put in a call and said, hey, what's it going to take? I don't know what that answer was on the other end. But, like, would you be willing to give up John Collins? Um, I mean, first of all, they said that they want a Trey Young in the deal. Hell no. There's no <laughs> way. There's no way I'm trading Trey Young for Kevin Durant because in two years or like hell, two weeks, Kevin Durant could be like, I don't like it here. I want to leave. Like, what's the point? Who does so, he want to play with if it's not Trey Young? That's my that's, thing. Like, they're not smart. Well, no, I, so I, no, and I don't think the Hawks would ever do that. I mean, if they, whenever they said, hey, you know, what do we got to do to get Kevin Durant off our hands? And they said Trey Young, they click. Like, hey, is this thing on? Hey, Hawks, are you still there? No, hell no. Um, and, you know, Simmons and them were like, well, if Miami called and offered Bam for Trey Young, the Hawks would do it right away. I'm like, you're you're dumb. Like, the Hawks – I think the Hawks value Trey Young more than maybe some other people do. Um, but, no, I, it, it's – the summer trade season is just infuriating me because it's not like it used to be. It used to be that you could make a trade and both teams got better or they're trying to compete. Now it's like – Hey, if you want this piece, you got to give us your whole damn team. Well, what's the point in the deal then? I don't get it. I, you're more than welcome to expand on this if you would like. I just the Kevin Durant thing kind of got got me started on this. And when you said, "Hey, you should do the Kevin Durant thing," I was like, "Perfect." I was going to anyway. So, I, I just I think know. it was it, it's kind of interesting because I was you know I was watching I think it was some from I, I don't remember who it was just a, a video in general on YouTube just something about it talking about how you know, looking back at the last few big trades and it's how it's like set the market for this. Um, I mean, you know, the Kawhi Leonard trade, the Spurs didn't really get much in the way of anything for Kawhi Leonard. I think they got one first round pick um, and they got Jakob Portal and some other guys who I think have been most likely non-factors. I don't know who they got that pick. Um, and then you look at the Paul George trade, traded, I, I don't think um, they go up that much uh, whenever Paul George got traded. Kyrie Irvin. They got up. I mean, the Cavs got a couple of scrubs. Um, in retrospect, uh, you know, no, no big championship pieces. I mean, and I think they got one pick as well. So, like, you know, the the whole the whole Nets the Nets started this. The Nets started the trouble when they traded for Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, um, in that big trade with the uh, with with the Boston Celtics. The the amount of picks they gave up in that trade. Has, has has is now handicapping them. They can't well, move on. They're two stars because they also got to move Kyrie Irving. All right, hold on. You said 
when they traded Kawhi, they didn't get they got Demar Derozan. They got a superstar back. So that, that was true. I forgot about Demar. That that was actually a legit trade for both teams. They both were they. You make valid points, but that one was not that one. You missed the <laughs> I boat forgot on about Demar Derozan. He's on the he's on the Bulls now, I, I believe. Right? He he ended up leaving San Antonio. Yeah, nobody likes San Antonio. <laughs> but but anyways, Duncan. you know what? It, you, you know it. They they created this mess when they made that Kevin Garnett Paul Pierce trade. That's that's what happened. Uh, that's what they that's what that's what they got them. You know how they got themselves into this mess. So moving on into our final topic of the day, um, we're gonna finish out our final um, fall camp position preview. What's up? Uh, I, I do want to say what's up to Mike Dudley. He did enter the chat. Appreciate uh, I talked to him for a little bit on one of uh, the GGG podcasts, uh, Twitter space. If you want to go hang out, Robert posts some tremendous Twitter spaces with a lot of tremendous people, including Jonathan Williams, who was on there today. And I think Dan frequents those whenever he is available um, over on Twitter. So guys, go check those guys out over on Twitter. Uh, go hang out with some DGDs. Um, as, as Rob has in his name. But anyways, Dan, let's finish out our fall camp position preview, ending with the defensive backs. And I put it in the title of today's podcast, you know, what is the strength of Georgia's defense coming in 2022? And, you know, am I, you know, is it too far? Am I going too far to say that the defensive backs are on paper probably the strength headed into the season? Uh, defensively, maybe. You could probably say that because we have a lot of talent returning and we have a lot of um, we have a lot of talent in other positions and maybe not necessarily um, because they weren't starters last year. I, I, I could see where you could say that, but you have Keely Ringo coming back, William Poole coming back, Christopher Smith coming back. Um, those guys played a lot of snaps for us last year and basically were starters. So I, I don't, I think that's fair. You could say that. Okay. And, you know, what's really exciting about this is when, you know, it's cool to be able to say that because in years past, you had some position groups where there was uh, Aziz Ojolari coming back or, you know, you had a Jordan Davis, Trayvon Walker, where, you know, Georgia brought back this DB room last year. Um, Oh, yeah, he's going to catch some heat, Jeremiah, in our group chat tonight. I'm going to give him some crap, um, as we always do. But, um, you know, there are some position groups where there's more stars coming back. And for defense this year, you know, I don't think that that there there is no one superstar other than Jalen Carter, who you know hasn't ever been a starter. As as we've as we mentioned last week, he started in some games because of injuries, but he's never been at the forefront of Georgia's defense just yet. And this is his opportunity. But when you look at the defensive backs, I mean, you have an absolute megastar now in Kaylee Ringo at defensive back at, at cornerback. He's going to have all eyes on him after making that pick six. Or as some people call it on Twitter, the chip six, which I thought was creative. And I wish I could have came up with that um, because that's awesome. But, you know, outside of that, Dan, you know, Christopher Smith, I think, is someone that doesn't get mentioned enough outside of the Georgia space. Uh, You know, I'm interested to see how he plays this year. Obviously, he's one of um, I I think he's one of the best safeties um, in man to man coverage in his own coverage. I think he can do whatever you need him to do. He can play star. I mean, he was instrumental in that Tennessee win, moving him to star um, against a pass-happy Tennessee offense. Ended up helping Georgia turn that game around after it looked like, you know, Tennessee was going to give Georgia a run for their money. Um, And then you bring back William Poole, who, you know, Brooks said last night may have been the MVP of Georgia's defense down the stretch in the playoffs, you know, guarding uh, those fast, and I mean fast, uh, slot receivers. At Bama, uh, had had multiple matchups against Jameson Williams before he went down with his injury. 
um, and, and really bounced back after a shaky performance in the SEC Championship game where he caught a lot of heat. And Kirby Smart in particular caught a lot of heat because William Poole started over, you know, after after playing in very minimal snaps throughout the regular season, came into the biggest game of the year at that point and started over Latavius Brini. So, you know, th- those are just some of the newcomers. Um, Dan, this is one of the kids that you're very high on. You've watched, and, and rightfully so, you've watched him um, throughout high school, uh, as we talked about. I think we talked about it in the past episode, in a, episode in the past, and we talked about it before we went live tonight. I want you to give us the rundown on the five-star Malachi Starks. So Malachi Starks, uh, according to what I was listening to the other day, apparently he is the first player in the Kirby Smart era to ever be listed on the roster as an athlete. And that's that is a that is a perfect title for him because he is an athlete. He can do whatever you want. You have to understand when he was at Jefferson, they didn't really have one way to use him. He ended up playing quarterback for them because that's where they needed him to. He played linebacker inside the box a lot because that's where they needed him. Uh, if they you know were playing a pass happy team that had a, a stud wide receiver, he would guard him. He would play in the safety. Uh, he uh, when they would put in uh, Max Aldridge at quarterback, they would let him play a little bit of running back, maybe split him out in the in the, in the slot. And, you know, a lot of what I'm hearing from outside of practice is that Malachi is playing offense and defense at Georgia right now, much in the same way that uh, Nicole Hardman was at the beginning of his career. Now, granted, the, you know, that first year with Nicole Hardman, we didn't get to see him at all because they were trying to transition him to corner and then they realized that this guy was just way too electric and we got to get him on the field. And the best way to put him on the field was put him out there at wide receiver. So we basically lost an entire year of one of the most electric athletes to come through Georgia in a really long time because they we were trying to figure it out. Well, I think they kind of learned their lesson with that with Starks where he's so damn good at everything he does that let's, let's just try to find a way that we can use him and get some productivity out of him. I wouldn't be surprised to see him line up in you know like a wild dog situation because he can throw the ball a little bit i wouldn't say he's can throw a ball like a quarterback i wouldn't say that i mean he's just such a good athlete he could line up at running back now granted we have a million running backs so i don't know that that's going to happen they could line them out split them out a little bit um but i mean he's he's a dynamite safety I, I I don't think for one second that we're not going to see him lined up at safety at some point this year they could put him in the nickel uh corner he could do that too. He could do whatever you want. I mean, the thing about Malachi is he's big, he's strong, he's extremely fast, he's extremely smart, and he adjusts to everything on the fly. But now he did that in high school. So to say that he's going to do all of that immediately at the college level would be a little bit naive on my part because there is a learning curve. I mean, Keely Ringo, and by the end of the time that we're done doing this, I'm going to have you saying Keely as opposed to Kaylee. So it's Keely. And uh, I may be mispronouncing that, and I apologize for that. I didn't catch that. So, um, but Keely Ringo was the highest-rated corner coming out of high school, and you know we were so excited to see him. He obviously he had that shoulder injury; we missed out a little bit of time. But now you're seeing how dominant he is now that he's playing. Well, I think Malachi Starks is every bit as dominant. It just depends on where you want to use him, and like I said, he's so daggum talented that there's not a wrong answer. There really isn't. But, you know, what is going to get him to the next level, I think, is probably what's most important to him. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him playing safety more than any other place. But 
if you remember what they did with Todd Gurley, what did Todd Gurley do? He returned kicks. I would not be shocked to see Malachi Starks returning kicks. And he would be damn good at it. I think with the safety room that Georgia has, you know, the defensive back room as a whole, um, it, it will benefit them to have him playing, you know, a little bit of offense when he can. I, I mean, from what you told me and what everyone else has said about him, you know, he's a pretty good receiver. He's pretty talented on both sides of the ball. Uh, and, I mean, with the way Georgia's receiver room is now, you know, it, it's looking for a impact player, looking for that next George Pickens-type star. Um, you, you got all the stars you need at tight end. I mean, my God. Um, but, you know, a valid criticism for Georgia right now is you don't have that that five-star do-it-all receiver. And I'm not saying Malachi Starks could be that for you, but, you know, let him, let him go contribute. Let him be uh, – let him, let him help, you know, fill some holes on that offense, you know, on the offense and help, you know, help a receiver room that probably, I wouldn't say he's lacking depth, um, but it's definitely going to need bodies knowing just how injured and banked up they were last year. Um, so transitioning on to, you know, a little bit away from Malachi Starks, but going to some other newcomers, uh, he's not the only five-star George brings in as a freshman. I mean, you have Jaheim Singletary, you have Dalen Everett. Dalen Everett really uh, impressed some people uh, with his uh, G-Day performance, uh, Obviously gave up that one uh, lar- uh, one big explosive um, passing play. I think I think it was play one from the second team offense and Carson Beck to Arian Smith on that on that route that almost scored a touchdown, but Dalen Everett tracked him down. If not, maybe I'm forgetting it was a touchdown. Uh, it escapes me right now. You got him um, coming in with a full spring of, of practice. You also got Marcus Washington Jr. Uh, obviously he reclassed from the 2023 class as a four star. Still, you have Julian Humphrey, four star out of Texas. Um, and Ja'Cory Thomas, a four-star safety out of Florida, um, who, I mean, that safety room after lacking, I, I think it lacked some depth last year, um, starting to get replenished with some young talent. But, Dan, real quick, before we do wrap it up for the night, you know, we got to answer two big questions about, um, you know, the defensive backs like we kind of have. We've answered the question of who we expect to kind of be on that defensive front and that front seven. Um, George has to fill two holes. And, you know, they got to fill the hole next to Kaylee Ringo, uh, Keely Ringo, uh, gosh, Keely Ringo and um, next to Christopher Smith at safety. And I'll go ahead. Um, I'll kick it over to you on safety, because uh, I think I think that name's pretty, pretty obvious as long as he gets healthy. Yeah. So Tyke Smith, I think, is going to get every opportunity to be uh, the star, the safety and the star. And I, you know. Everything that we heard about this guy coming from West Virginia was he was an absolute superstar. And I hope to God he is because, um, you know, poor fellow didn't get to play last year. And, you know, it, that's got to suck for him. You know, it was an opportunity, I thought, for him to come out here, put some really good tape together at Georgia, win a national championship, go on to the NFL and get paid. Unfortunately, the injuries uh, had other ideas. So now he's got to do that. But I, I think, obviously, Tyke Smith, as long as he's healthy, he's going to get that first crack. But uh, Malachi Starks is going to be in that rotation. He's going to get time at that safety position. So uh, it's it's Tyke and Malachi, in my opinion. Um, but uh, Ja'Cory Thomas is also a safety, a four-star safety. Um, I'm sure that he is going to do everything in his power to get on the field as well. And Dan Jackson, um, Dirty Dan was awesome for us last year. And he's definitely going to be in the mix for whatever. And don't forget that he runs a sub 4-4. Forty. I mean, I think it's it's every bit of four three. It might be even closer to four two. I remember covering him in high school. He went to North Hall High School, and that's why he's a walk on because he went to such a small school. But 
I watched him chase down Jaden Hazelwood from across the field and run his butt down. And I, I, on the radio, I almost got fired that night. Cause I almost cussed. I was like, Oh my God, I cannot believe I just, I, I mean, I'm telling you, he was literally on the other sideline and ran this guy down who had like a 10 yard head start on him before he got to the end zone. And it was just incredible, just incredible. Um, so dirty Dan is definitely going to get some playing time. And, and what's, you know, what's crazy about how he broke out last year is the fact that, uh, as far as we know, he did not have a scholarship, and I don't think he does uh, now unless they're waiting to uh, award him it in the season to make one of those viral videos, um, which would be interesting. Um, and as Jeremiah says, he sees Dirty Dan and Taiki back there. You know, it was interesting, and Brooks pointed this out. I think it was in um, either in his film review uh, in the past or in, uh, you know, just on his Twitter threads that he posts about his uh, breakdown. Georgia had, was running some three safety looks uh, against Bama late in that game. Uh, where they had, you know, there's sometimes where Dirty Dan, uh, Christopher Smith, and Lewis Seen were all on the field. Uh, and, you know, that was the way they found some success guarding Georgia. I think they probably tried to replicate. I think they probably did something similar in uh, the SEC championship game. It just didn't have as much success. Um, but, you know, give Georgia defense some credit. I know everyone, um, the Bama fans like to point out, you know, they didn't have their two best receivers. But, you know, if you want to go get some, some ammo uh, as a Georgia fan as to why Georgia won that game, um, that isn't, hey, Alabama lost, you know, so-and-so, go subscribe to Brooks's Patreon. It's the one free shout-out. Like Dan said, it's multiple times. We both agree he is the best in the business as far as uh, we've seen at breaking down tape and giving you the answers that, um, personally, me personally, I can't give you. Dan has more knowledge uh, playing football and, and being around the game for so long, calling games. He can probably tell you some stuff, um, but Brooks Austin is one of the best in the industry at what he does, so give, go give him – um, some support and real quick before we do wrap it up uh, Dan broke down safety we do have a opening quarter um, cornerback spot uh, and it shouldn't be any surprise to any of you if you've been paying attention Kamari Laster seems like the guy Dan I don't know if you know if you were able to cover Kamari Laster in any games um, if you are feel free to jump in here and tell us about what you've seen from him uh, at least coming out of high school no, I did not see uh, Kamari Laster or Nyland Green for that matter in person I didn't see either one of those guys um, both extremely talented. I believe uh, the the news coming out of spring practice about Lasseter was he had plays where you're like, oh, my God, he is unbelievable. And then the next play was, oh, my God, what the hell is he doing? And I'm, that's to be expected with a young guy, especially in Kirby's system, because it's so uh, – I mean, defensive coaches say, I don't want you to think, I want you to react, I want you to play fast. Defensive guys play fast, and it's not about being – you know, having to be extremely intelligent, but at the same time, if you're extremely athletic and intelligent and you can, you can play really, really well in Kirby's system, Kirby's system really accentuates the talents of the guys that they have, especially the ones that are smart. Look at um, Nicobe Dean. You know, what is the first thing that Kirby smart said about Nicobe Dean when he got right on campus? He says, I've never been around a guy who's as instinctual as, as, as he is. And, it showed up, right? It showed up on tape. I mean, he's he's reacting. Some of his physical limitations were uh, null and void because he was so smart. He was reacting before anybody else could, and he got to the ball. Ray Lewis, uh, you know, in the NFL wasn't the biggest. Well, he was big. He was big and strong, but he wasn't the fastest middle linebacker in the world. But he was extremely intelligent, and, and he was a workhorse uh, in the in the film room, and he understood everything that you're trying to do. So I think a guy like Kamari Lasseter has all the talent in the world. I don't know that it's necessarily clicked a hundred percent 
you know, it, I don't know this 100% clicked the way that it did with Keely Ringo because Ringo had one year to learn it and he was in the system. And I don't recall, and I'm sure the guys in the chat will say, Dan, you're an idiot because there was this play, this, that, you know, whatever. But I don't really recall ever being a situation where Keely looked like he was clueless, right? I, and maybe he was, but I don't remember that. So uh, Nyland Green is a guy that was coming out of high school that I knew not a whole lot on, and Brooks was extremely high on him, and he did a couple film breakdowns. That guy also extremely talented. So they have options, man. And that's and I think if you've listened to any of our podcasts or our live streams or anything about these position break, uh, breakdowns, every single position that we've broken down so far is they've got guys. They've got guys. They've got studs everywhere. So every position group regardless of what it is, Georgia has options at every single position. I can't think maybe defensive line is probably the thinnest they are anywhere, but the guys that they have there are extremely talented and the guys that are coming in, granted, we don't know a whole, I mean, we, we think we know a lot about them, but you don't really know until they show it on the field. But it, to me, I think the, the moral of the story is Georgia has so many options at every position group that, it's just a matter of who gets it first. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's always having the Jimmy and Joe's haven't, hasn't been the problem. Hasn't been since I would say year one on a curve smart. And even then uh, it wasn't really a problem. And, and as Jeremiah says, you know, Quay Walker uh, was read and react. Um, well, Quay Walker would have some plays, some great plays where he'd go track down the, you know, the running back out of the backfield or go meet him in the gap. Um, and then, you know, another play where he would, he would, you know, miscalculate it or make the wrong read and uh, just, just miss out on that uh, until last year where, uh, I mean, he was just a ball hawk uh, wherever, wherever that ball went, whether it was, you know, a running play or, you know, the quarterback trying to get out of the backfield or putting up in the air, Quay Walker was there or somewhere in that vicinity of the ball trying to get it. Um, and, and just, you know, that whole linebacker room as a whole, just their instincts, man, their knowledge for the game and the knowledge of what that opposing offense, you know, was doing was insane to watch. Um, and, you know, Jeremiah Stoddard says a lot of talent on the defensive line and at the linebacker group, group, but it's just unproven right now. And that's that, I mean, that, that bangs the mole in the head. And Dan, before we wrap it up, do you have anything to add? No, I think that's exactly, Jeremiah, the reason I put his comment up there is because I think that's exactly what we're saying is they have so many freaking options. It's just a matter of, Who's going to get it first? Who's going to be the one uh, to grab the bull by the horns and take take control of their position group? But the amount of talent they have is not a question. Any one of the position groups on the field, I mean, you can go across the board, every single position. It's They have options. So um, I, I'm extremely excited, man. Extremely excited. Absolutely. And that's going to wrap it up today for episode 49 of the Top Dog Talk podcast. You can go follow Dan Kylie at Dan Kylie 3 on Twitter. Go interact with him. Go like his tweets. Give him some followers. Uh, Rob gave us a shout out. We do appreciate you on that, bud. Make sure y'all go uh, follow GGD podcast. Go follow Classic City Sports podcast. Jeremiah Stoddard and Jonathan Williams, who is not with us today in the uh, comment section. Um, go support those guys. Go support uh, all this network of shows, as we call it. Um, make sure you go support each other. We all support each other. Make sure you go um, support them too. Subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast. if you're listening to us um, on audio. Make sure to like and subscribe the video here on YouTube. I know it's a mouthful. It's a laundry list of things to do, but make sure to go do it. Go share it on Twitter. Go share it on Facebook. Share it in MySpace. And like Dan says, thank you for joining us tonight. Guys, we'll see you back next week. Episode 50 of the Top Dog Top Podcast. <laughs>